thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through his word. Thy praise confess, yea, of thy word, my tongue would sing, yea, of thy word, my tongue would sing, for thy commands are righteousness. Well, greetings this Lord's Day in the name above all names. Greetings. The Bible tells us that after Jesus humbled Himself in His humanity and in His death, that God exalted Him. This is God's way. This is God's path for all of us today. The psalmist wrote a humble song. And sometimes just the nature of... Uh, of something can make it humble. When you read it, it's not particularly, you know, it doesn't go on and on about its humility. It's so short that the shortness emphasizes the humility of it. Psalm 131 says this, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty, and neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things that are too high for me. Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned from its mother, and my soul is even as a weaned child. Let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever. Can you hear the quietness of that psalm? Sometimes we need to close our mouths, open our ears, and be humble in life and in the presence of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love You. We thank You for loving us so much. For saving us from our sins and for calling us to be holy as You are holy. Today as we answer Your call to worship You, we come into this place humbled that we have been invited. Humbled by the fact that instead of being somewhere else in our sin, that we are here cleansed from our sins because of Your righteousness. Lord, we come today as hungry and thirsty children and you, our Father, we know will feed us. Change us, Lord, that we may grow to be like you. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said, Amen. Amen. Please remain standing for just a moment as I read my text for you. My sermon today is called Food Fit for the Sabbath, Humble Pie. Okay, everybody say humble pie. Humble pie. Luke 14, 7 through 11 does not mention humble pie, uh, but it certainly 
This will be a little bit, I'm, I'm getting you smiling now because it's going to be a little bit rough. Um, God uh, wants to speak to us today, uh, and He's willing to speak to us today, but if we don't listen, uh, He can take care of our little problem that we have, okay? So He, in uh, Luke chapter 4, starting with verse 7, it says this, Jesus put forth a parable to those that were bidden when He marked how... They chose out their chief rooms, and he said unto them, When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, do not sit down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thee be bidden of him. And he that bade thee come and say to thee, Give to this man place, and thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. But when thou art bidden, go and sit in the lowest room. And when he that bade thee comes, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up hither. Then shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. For whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Let us pray. Lord, as I was working on the sermon this week, I could hear your rebuke to me and to the members of our church about our pride and your warning that is coming to us that if we will not humble ourselves you will humble us and lord this is a this is a frightful thing and i pray lord god that we would all take heed to your words today as we gather and we listen that we would listen for your voice today in christ's name we pray everybody said amen you may be seated Now make no mistake about it, when we gather together on the Lord's day, the Lord speaks to me, and I say things to you that He says to me that are for you. Do you you guys understand this? I don't have a book uh, that I read that some other guy wrote and each week get together and read the sermons. I I don't do that. I pray, and I talk to God, I read the scriptures, and He speaks to my heart. And He speaks to my heart, words for you. Do you guys know this? Maybe you don't understand this. I do. Uh, if anybody understands this, it's me. I, I will read things and I'll think to myself, Andy, I think, what on earth am I going to do with this? And I don't have any idea. And maybe my, my simpleness and my lack of highbrowness and my lack of uh, being educated, as some people are, uh, causes me to rely. But, you know, I really think that's what my job is supposed to be, to talk to you about what God is saying to our congregation. So are you ready to listen to this? All right. Whoever exalts himself will be abased. Everybody say, he will be abased. God will humble us. He will humiliate us if need be. He will bring us low if we refuse to do it ourselves. You and I may not like the sound of this, but it is what God's word says right here. And it's what he's saying to us. Okay, you know, we, we like to read this verse and we like to read it like this, like, you know, I would recommend, you know, the better way to live, the good way to live, the, the way to, to be like Jesus, to be nice like he was, is to be more humble. We like that approach, don't we? But, and the Bible is explaining that to us, but that's not all it's doing. Kind of like Steve, imagine telling one of your kids, I need you to straighten up right now. 
I need you to talk to me with respect. Have you ever said this to one of your kids, Steve? Yeah, I, I, I said... Listen, I'm recommending that you use some words of respect right now with your father. Now, you mean that not just merely as a recommendation, because what's on the back end of that? If you don't do it, then bad things are going to happen. That's what I say to my kids. I'm like, I'm like, just in case you're confused for a moment, something very bad is about to happen to you. But I'm going to give you the opportunity to do the right thing. Now, you don't have to do it. Uh, but I'm going to, if you don't, you're going to wish you had. Has anybody ever talked, you guys ever talked to your kids like that? All right, Heath, I'm glad to hear it. All right. Uh, God is not merely recommending a humble attitude as a better, more lofty way to live. A way of loving others. He demands it. Everybody say, God demands this. God will have His holy will. And we are His people. We're the sheep of His pasture. And if He says that we're to be humble, what are we going to be, Derek? We're going to be humble. And if we're not going to be humble, what's he going to do? He's going to help us out. All right. Now, as James put it in chapter four, which we read, God resists the proud. And we always think of somebody else as being proud or somewhere else. These people out in the world, they stand there in their $2,000 suits and they stand there with their billion dollar bank accounts. And they stand there thinking there's somebody God's going to bring them low. But God's word says that judgment begins first at the house of God. And so don't worry about how proud they are. And when we get together, when we read God's word, when we read it, if you're looking at, oh, I can't wait for God to do that to them. You're reading it wrong. Because I don't want God to resist me. How many of you want God to resist you? Uh -uh, I don't. Now, we might be guilty of thinking of God that He's like us, but God is not like us. He is not weak and uh, relegated to pleading and hoping. And Oh, Nathaniel, I really wish you would be humble, please. It would be, I would be so happy. This is not the God we serve. He doesn't plead and beg and, 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 and hope that we'll straighten up. That's not God. He's God and He will have us straighten up. If He wants us to straighten up, Andy, we're going to straighten up one way or the other. Now we know this with our kids. I mean, Andy, don't you sometimes you're looking at your kids and you're seeing one of your kids and he's just all puffed up, you know, or she, what, well, your girls never be like that, but, but maybe, maybe one of these boys, you know, some, and you just go and you're thinking to yourself, I got to take them down a notch or two. Anybody, anybody have a thought for your kid? They're so big for their britches. Now, what would happen if they did it on their own? If they did it on their own, there wouldn't be any need. I mean, imagine the, the proud kid in your house that you see is going to have to take it down a notch comes to you and goes, you know what? I've been proud. I've been wrong. You know what? I'm going to do the dishes for my sisters who I've treated bad all week. What would you do? Would you be displeased with that? Or would you be like, all right. In fact, you might want to do something nice for them, right? Folks, this is what the Bible is talking about right here. When it comes to God, okay, we have made fear... We've made fear some sort of bad thing, but when it comes to God, fear is wise. Fear is prudent. You are foolish to not be humble when it comes to God and to not have fear of God. Either God isn't real and we're all just getting together, wearing nice clothes and pretending we're nice people, or He is real and He is watching us and He cares about what's in our heart. And he cares about how we treat others. And he cares about the way we think of ourselves. Either that it's true that it's all or it's all big fake. Now, I believe it's real, Bill. I believe God's watching and I believe God cares. 
We've made fear a bad thing when it comes to God. Fear is not a bad. The fear of the Lord, in fact, Proverbs 1, 7 says what? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I mean, imagine Tim saying this to your children, you know, when you're trying to explain to them in your home. You're like, the fear of dad is the beginning of wisdom. What's that even mean? Titus, benign, you know what that means? The fear of your dad is the beginning. Of, if your dad says, hey, boys, I want you to do this and I want you to do that. You are not wise to just let it go, to act like it's no big deal and dad doesn't mind. Now, you can get away with that for a while because your dad's not God. But I'm telling you, any good dad knows you can't let your kids get away with being proud and being disobedient or else they'll grow up to be what? Proud, disobedient people who are going to be miserable. And so parents that love their children, they don't do it because they demand the respect. They do it because we're trying to teach them how to respond to who? To God. And if our children don't learn to respond to their parents that way, they're not going to respond to God with the same way. And God calls us to act humbly before the Lord and contrite and uh, realize that we're not that important. It's as simple as this. God is watching and he does not leave us to our own. He loves us too much to allow us to become what we would become without his help. You see, here in Luke 14, those who invited Jesus for a Sabbath meal were proud people who were watching him. And they invited him so they could watch him. They weren't watching him with hungry hearts, you know, filled with praise and thanksgiving for their master. They were watching him very closely. They were setting a trap for him. And as the proverb tells us, they got caught in the trap that they were setting for him. All right. So our story begins in Luke chapter 14, verse 1. It says, And it came to pass as he went to the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day, that they watched it. You know, I think it's funny how, you know, a writer puts something in there like, that's just something, who who, who knows? How how does this know? Well, you know because of what happens later. But they brought him here because they were watching it. All right? Jesus was certainly not part of the in crowd, and it did not just happen to be that he was at the chief Pharisee's home. He was invited for the express purpose so they could watch him. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. Now, dropsy was an incurable disease of swelling. And, you know, they had kind of a, a general term for it. It could be caused from rheumatoid arthritis. It could be caused from... Uh, cirrhosis of the liver. It could be caused from heart failure. It can be caused from a whole lot of things. You know how people's body builds up fluids. You guys see this, and uh, their legs swell. Maybe with diabetes, or their their abdomen swells huge because they have cirrhosis of the liver. I had an uncle. It had. He looked like he was twelve months pregnant. You know, and they gave him a few days to die. He was giantly swelled. Now the Lord actually touched him, and he lost fifty pounds in three days, and it was all water. But that's a whole other story. All right. But this guy was like this. He, his, he was swollen. He was sitting at meat with Jesus and he was just swelled up big. And they, he knew eventually most of these people, they died. There was nothing they could do to cure them. Now, notice in this story that this man was not brought to Jesus for healing. This man did not come to Jesus for healing. This man did not say, oh Lord, heal me. Uh, this man did not uh, say, oh, I believe that you can heal me. There was no faith involved here. 
There was no request involved. There was no prayer. There was nothing involved other than Jesus happened to be there. And when he saw the man, he saw the man's disease and he decided he wanted to heal him. I was talking to my kids in the car. I do this on the way to church and I ask them questions. What does it require for God to heal somebody? Do they have to have faith? Do they have to come? Do they have to believe? Does someone have to come who believes is all that? Here we have an instance where the man didn't come. The man didn't ask. The man didn't believe. The man didn't know anything. Jesus just looked at him and decided he wanted to heal him. God doesn't require all of those things. If he says he requires them, if in, the, if in your life he says, Steve, in order for you to, to be healed, you must believe, then you must believe. But this guy, he didn't have to believe anything. He just happened to be right there. Knowing what was in the hearts of those people that were watching him, Jesus preempted their objections by asking a question. You see, uh, he asked them a question. Um, this question was meant to assault their pride. They love to be thought of as wise men. They love to be thought of as good men. And so when he asked this question, he shed light on their bad motives. And this was very humiliating for them. Okay? So here we, here we go. Verse 3. Jesus answered and spoke unto the lawyers and the Pharisees that were there. And he asked, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? Now this guy hadn't asked for healing. Jesus hadn't healed the guy yet. Nothing had happened yet. He knew that they were watching him, that they had invited him to come. And so he turns to them and goes, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? So it's kind of like, you know, have you... Uh, have you stopped beating your wife? Kind of, it's like a question. Like, there's no good answer. Whether they're going to say no, no, you're not allowed to heal on the Sabbath day. God wouldn't please the Lord. He was asking a question that if they answered it out loud and they said no, you can't heal on the Sabbath. Healing on the Sabbath would be horrible. You know, here this incurable guy's across from Jesus. They think you know something's going to happen here, and Jesus preempts their problem by letting them know that he knows they're watching them. Verse 4, and they held their peace. Everybody say they held their peace. They held their peace. Now, these Pharisees were known for their prolific talking. You could ask them a question and they would wax eloquent for hours and hours. And they wanted people to sit at their feet. And they loved to discuss the minutia of the law. And they loved to talk about all of the important intricacies of exactly how and when justification is applied. And at what moment and all of the stuff. And they loved to have these big long conversations. So Jesus asked them a biblical question. And what do they do? Can you imagine it, Heath? These guys that are normally talk, 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 talking all day, every day. Jesus asked them a Bible question and they go. I mean, could you imagine this? These guys, he's at the most important guy's house. He's with the people that know everything. And he asked them a question and they go. Do you think these guys were embarrassed? Everybody say, they were humiliated. humiliated. This, what this, this whole narrative is about Jesus is humbling these people, he's humiliating them. And you might go, well, that's not nice. To be humbled is actually doing somebody a great favor. You might go, well, I don't like that form of discipline and, and it could be mean. Yeah, it actually can. But do you know, Jesus humiliated some people. And he says that God does this. And so you might go, well, what, you planning to do it this week? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we'll try it out and see how it works. How many would like to be humiliated this week? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be fantastic? 
Those men would travel land and sea to make a disciple unto themselves. They would not even open their mouth because they knew if they did, their ungodly hearts would be exposed. God has a way of shutting our mouths, does he not? He has a way of humbling us in the thing we think we're so big about. We're so smart. We're so able. This is what God does. He humbles the proud, but he gives grace to the He gives grace to the humble who close their mouths and become hearers. The next verse, well, it's actually the finish of that same verse I was in. It says, and Jesus took him and healed him. And he let him go. You know, it appears that Jesus was not trying to aggravate these guys. He didn't just heal the guy right there in front of them and upset them because he's doing it on the Sabbath. He takes the guy out of the room and they go somewhere else. Jesus was not trying to incite them here. He had compassion on this man. He knew they were watching him. And now here he is in front of a guy who's got an incurable disease, who's miserable, who's in pain. Swelling is miserable. It's painful. Jesus was compassionate. Folks, when we see people and we see them in their misery, something in our hearts should go out to them and say something needs to be done. Whether they're poor or they're sick, you know, whether their kid's about to be taken away and maybe they deserve... I mean, Luke, when you see that guy, is, it, is his name Colton or is that the boy's name? I can't remember. Stanley and Colton. When you see that situation, something in your heart, what does it say? Something's got to be done. You know what that is? Luke, that's the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean our whole life is filled with Stanley and Colton 24-7, but, but it's not like you could be there and just not notice it. James says, how does the, John says, and James, but how does the love of God dwell in you and you see somebody in the situation and yet your vows of compassion do not go out? And you might say, well, I don't ever feel that way. If you don't ever feel that way, you should pray and say, God, something's wrong with me. I need you to fill me with your spirit so that your spirit calls out that something must be done. And Jesus was willing to do it, and he did it. The Pharisees knew, or he knew the Pharisees would not approve. Jesus took the man with the dropsy, he healed him, he sent him on his way. Now earlier in that same day, Jesus had been at the synagogue. And there was a woman who the devil had, it said, bent over in a state where she couldn't raise up her body. For 18 years. You guys ever see people like this? You ever see them at the store? I do. I'll see a little old lady at Meyer, you know, and, and she's, she's, trying, she's, she's not done. She's not, I'm not going to just stay at home. I'm going to go to the store. You ever see these people? Back problems are serious problems, trust me. 18 years. Everybody say, 18 years. I don't think you can comprehend it. It's longer than a lot of you people have lived. Imagine being permanently bent over. But you know what's worse? The Bible says Satan had done this to this woman. And I don't know how he did it, but he did it in a way that he, her, the, the demon spirits bound her body in a bent over position for 18 years. You know, sometimes I read the Bible, I'm trying to understand. And, the, and apparently when Jesus lived, the devil had the power to, to, to break somebody and, and disfigure their body for 18 years of torture. <sighs> when Jesus healed the woman, the leader of the synagogue rebuked him for his good work of mercy. And you know what Jesus did? He responded by reminding him that 
on the Sabbath when his animals that he keeps pinned up or tied up, that when they're on the Sabbath, he cares enough to unleash them and to lead them to water to get a drink. And you know what this does to this chief leader who is all important, who's all knowing, who's, who's great and right. You know what it does to him, Tim? It humiliates him. How do I know this? It says it right here in the Bible. You can read it, Luke 13, 17. It says, and the man was ashamed of himself. He was ashamed. But the people rejoiced. He put the man in his place. He felt ashamed. He was humiliated and the people rejoiced. Now here he faced a similar situation. And you'll see Jesus says something else, but he says a little bit different to the same man. Sometimes you read Bible stories and we get them all convoluted and we think they're all one story. This all happened on the same day. Jesus had just dealt with a man inside the synagogue and now he's out of the synagogue in a, in a, in a leader's home. And the same thing happens to him in the house that had just happened to him in the synagogue. Different sickness, different situation. Verse 5, Jesus answered and said, Which of you shall have an ass or an ox and fall into a pit and will not straightway pull him out? On the Sabbath day. Verse 6. And they could not answer him again in these things. So what are they doing now, Annie? Are they talking it up? Are they arguing or are they going? <laughs> Why is it that when we get humbled and humiliated, we talk less? Has anybody ever noticed this? Oh, I do. It's happened to me plenty of times, you know. I'll be just going along my business and doing my thing and... And something happens, it'll be very humbling, like, whoa, like, okay. You know, when good things are going on in our lives, and when we're blessed and all is well, we just talk, 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 and we got an answer for everybody, and we can straighten everybody out, and we know how everybody else ought to live, and how, and whatever. But as soon as something humbling happens to us, what do we do? We talk less. Silenced again. James tells us we should be slow to speak. Everybody say, slow to speak. speak. Swift to hear. Slow to wrath. (laughs) See, they were not slow to speak because they wanted to be. They had just learned how humiliating it could be to open their mouths in the presence of the Savior. Because He didn't just let it be. He silenced them and He humbled them with the truth of the Word of God. You see, the truth is humbling. We talk, talk, talk. We tell others what they should think and until we humiliate ourselves and then we don't talk so much. Humility has a way of quieting us. If we could learn to speak less and listen more and think before we speak, we would more easily show the proper humility and respect toward others. Don't be so quick to make a judgment call. You might go, how can I do this? I'll give, I'll give you an example. You ever hear about a circumstance and then right out of our mouth goes, well, you know what, blah, 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 blah. You know, you see a news report. Well, you know what, blah, 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 blah. That's what we do. We are like these gushing fountains, Bill. We know. Well, I mean, if they wouldn't, blah, 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 Isn't this what we do? Instead of stopping to hear the circumstance and going and then stopping just for a minute, instead of going, well, I'll tell you what I think. And we do it, folks, I'm telling you right now, I've seen it happen in our church over and over and over. I've seen it happen on email. We'll send out something and then blah, 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 blah. Everybody say, let's be slow to speak. Slow to email. 
Slow to return text. Slow to Facebook comment. How many of you would say the things that, you know, we say things on a Facebook comment we would never say in person. How many, how many of you, they, they don't know me. They're just out there. They're like, you, right? I can tell you right now, I would be, if my wife didn't save me from myself, I would, I, I could go, just go right down the rabbit hole of Facebook and get on there and tell these people, you're a bunch of, you know, what's wrong with you and you can't move. That's what I do. But I don't do that. I do not engage. In fact, someone said something on my buddy Matt Clark's page the other day. And it was, it was like, I love Matt. He's my buddy. And so this guy said something and I'm thinking if he was standing next to me and said that to my friend, I would just want to just whack him. Like, like here, Matt was like making this post on Facebook, Andy. And it was just this God is good, wonderful post. And some hater got on there and said, blah, 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 blah. And I saw it, man. And you know, I'm not a guy who hangs out on Facebook, but uh, sometimes I look at things on there and I, I was reading Matt's post and I'm reading, and I read this and I'm like, who, And so I just said, like, so what did I do? I laid it out. And I said, I said something really rough to this guy. And then the guy goes, I bet your congregation would be interested to hear that. You know? And I started to engage with him. And I didn't say anything wrong or sinful. I just was very harsh and direct with this guy. So you know what I did? I private messaged him. I said, you know what? If, if you were in real life with me, We'd probably never have this kind of conversation. That was inappropriate. I shouldn't have done that. I, I don't agree you should have said this on my buddy's page, but this is wrong. And you know what the guy immediately responded? He goes, you know what? I say dumb things too. No harm, no foul. I'm stupid. I shouldn't have said that to him. But what do we do? We are quick to respond. We're quick to, we hear so-and-so did this in the church, or so-and-so did that in the church, or so one of your friends did this, and you go, but blah, 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 blah. When, when your mouth speaks, one second after you hear something, you might be proud. When you know why they did it and why they shouldn't do it, and aren't you glad it happened? When you're ready to go that fast, you got some pride issues. And God will help you out with those. Okay? Remember the admonition of James. My brothers, not many of you should be many teachers, knowing that teachers shall receive the greater condemnation. You know, when someone is needing counsel... You shouldn't be going, you know, oh, 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 I got the answer. I got the answer. I'll tell you the way it is. And drowned out maybe someone wise that could actually speak to them. Oh, I know the answer. I know exactly what they had to do. Really? You know, God has put people in your life for that. And if everyone drowns them out and volunteers their great wisdom 500 miles an hour, what you're saying is you're saying, I'm wise and I know. God said, don't do that. That's not a proud attitude. Or that is a proud attitude. It's not a humble attitude. If you're instructing others, you better make sure that you are representing God's word. The advice is not to keep teachers from teaching or leaders from leading. It's to keep all of us humble. So now Jesus puts forth a parable on humility for emphasis. Note, he takes his parable and subsequent Things that he teaches, he applies them to the situation they're in. They're at a meal and they're sitting down. So what does Jesus make parables about? About being in a place and sitting at a meal, right? So you're at a place and you're sitting at a meal and he gives a parable about 
being in a place and sitting at a meal. And then he directs it straight at his host, who he knows is a proud man who's watching him, who is hard-hearted, and he directs it straight at him. You might go, you know, maybe we should just be indirect. I don't know. Jesus was not... Verse 7, he put forth the parable to those that were bidden and he marked how they chose out the chief rooms. When you're bidden in a man, don't sit in the highest room when you go to a wedding. Go to the, go to the, don't, don't find the most honorable place for yourself. Unless the man who's holding the party sees you and sees where you're at and hey, say, you know, some important people came and so I'd like you to move to the kids' table. Wouldn't that be nice, Luke? Jesus is mentioning a situation that these Pharisees would have been mortified by. Could you imagine Mr. Pharisee in his broad phylactery, in his great big robe, in his pointy hat, he comes and he sits down in the chief seat only to walk in and go, hey, could you sit at the kid's table? Jesus is explaining this. This is life. When you live a life of pride, be ready for what? To be To be humble. And he gives them some practical advice because this is actually pretty smart. I mean, if you were a politician, if you wanted to make sure you didn't get humiliated in public, what would you do? You would go sit in the low table, right? So that you couldn't be humiliated. I mean, Luke, if you sit in the lowest table, you can't be put on the lowest table. You're there, right? So this is just politically wise, but that's really not where Jesus is going. Where he's going is to the matter of a heart, but he starts off with the practical. Don't walk in a room and pick the best spot for yourself. Okay. Whosoever, verse 11, exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humble himself shall be exalted. Walking in humility is a sure way not to be humiliated. This is a threat and a promise, but it's also great advice. You want respect, let others give it to you. Don't demand it. If I got up every week and I said, I'm your pastor, God talks to me, you better respect me. And I said that every week. That's not what the way it's supposed to work. I'm supposed to understand that I am God's servant who works for you. That I am your servant. And I should treat you that way. Okay, Your response should say, hey, I'm going to honor God. If if you're telling your kids every day, I'm your dad and you better respect me. Instead of serving them and loving them, you're going to not be the right kind of dad. You're going to miss out. It should occur to your children at some point, hey, my dad is the voice of God in our home. And I need to treat God with respect by respecting my father. Wives, it's the same way. So now, uh, Jesus goes a little deeper into this in verse 12. First, he gives the practical. Sit in the low seat so you're not humiliated, right? But sitting in the low seat is the right thing to do. Not just so you're not humiliated, because it's the right thing to do. In the kingdom of God, there's an order, right? Everybody else, and then who? And then... We are each to esteem others, how? Better than ourselves. You see, now we say that we want to be, we're going to act like that, but we don't believe that. And Jesus moves to, hey, don't just act like that. You need to understand that it's true. Prefer others and put them in your mind and in your heart ahead of yourself. And you'll actually be humble instead of just acting like you're humble. So he goes deeper. Verse 12, he says, Now, Jesus turns, and and just saying in general at the party, now he turns to the guy who invited him, Steve, and he says straight to this guy, he says, when you make a dinner or a supper, so what's Jesus at? He's at the dinner. He says, when you do it, 
don't just call your friends or your brothers or your near kinsmen or your rich neighbors. Lest they bid thee again and recompense thee. You know, Don't just have a party and invite people that can have you over to a party at their house. Don't just do good for people so that they can in turn do you a good turn. He wasn't prohibiting inviting your friends. He wasn't even speaking to that. He was saying, there's motivation behind this. You know, Benita knows in business, if you buy a bunch of meals for a bunch of people, what do you do? You obligate them to what? To do you a favor. It's a, it's, it's a way of business. But Jesus is saying, doing good to those who can return you something good is not charitable. It's basically good politics and a good business move. It's not to be confused with doing actual good. Jesus says in verse 13, When you make a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. Now, nobody wants those people at their parties. But Jesus says we should invite them into our parties. If you do this, you'll be blessed. It's one thing to take money and give to a poor guy. It's another to invite him into your house and have him eat at your table. Is this what we do? Do we invite the poor and the sick and the lame and the blind over to our houses? It's a good question to ask yourself. Jesus says we should do that. Do we do that? You will be blessed for they cannot recompense you, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection. You know, we we have more to offer people than just food. You know, how often people never have the opportunity to sit at a table where a mom and dad love each other and where, where... there are decent where they have a home. They don't get that. I mean, just giving them need for their body, just food is one thing, but when you have them over to your home and they're there in the middle of it, it doesn't mean your home has to be perfect, but you're giving them more than just a, a physical need. You're meeting a need that all of us have. You know, if you were out there and you were alone, you would be longing for decent fellowship. You would be longing to know somebody, to be near someone, to be treated with respect. People want that. And they don't get that. And you can't, you can't do that through the diaconal fund. You know, we can go over and deliver them food. But Jesus said, there are things you can give them of yourself that don't cost anything but your time. You know, we're all so rich that we're bored. Maybe we'd be a little less bored if we invited a few people over to our homes that never had that. Think about that instead of a Turner Classic movie. Jesus knew the lifestyle of this man. He was speaking directly at him. No doubt these words cut him to the heart. They might be cutting you to the heart today. One of them who sat at meat with him heard these things and he said, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom. Doesn't that sound like a nice thought? Do you know what's funny? This was not a nice thought. This was the man changing the subject because he was now feeling uncomfortable. You know, as I was reading this, some of us wonder what we ought to be doing at our dinner tables and at our breakfast tables. And you know, Jesus was talking about good things. He was talking about the application of the Word. He was talking about what humility is. He was talking about how to love and take care of people. That's what He did at His meal. Is that what you're doing at your table? It's your meals. So this man says, blessed is he who will eat bread of the kingdom. Well, one commentator said that this man must have been feeling uncomfortable in his heart. 
And he must have been feeling condemned and uncomfortable, so he just kind of blurted this out. This was a statement of the day, okay? It was like one of the sayings of the day, like, uh, you know, God is good all the time. You know how people say that? Man, God's good all the time, you know? Well, Jesus completely ignores the guy. He doesn't go, oh, yeah, it's going to be great. He knew the guy was trying to change the subject. He knew the guy doesn't like the, the, the intimates that was happening here at this meal and this instruction that was so direct to the heart of these people's sinful hearts. He didn't like that. And so, hey, won't it be great when we all eat together in the kingdom? And Jesus, instead of responding and saying, shut up, here I am correcting you and humbling you and you're, you're wanting to just move on. I'm not done here. So you know what Jesus does? He goes deeper. And what he says next is really painful. So Jesus, by degree, is is wading them into ankle-deep water and knee-deep water, and now He takes them into chest-deep water, and it's pretty rough. He says, uh, Let me tell you about this man who made a great supper, and he bade many, and he sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come. You guys know this, right? You will see that this is a pattern that is done by the apostles, and it's the, a pattern done by Jesus. He's friendly, he's kind, but he does not avoid the truth. And when he's about to explain to them, it would actually take me too long to go through it all, but he takes them, and the people all make excuses, and they don't come to the feast. You guys know about this, right? And we could get into all what their excuses were all about, but they really don't matter. The point is, is they don't come to the meal. So now, not only is he talking about people... Uh, that you should be inviting to the meal that aren't there. And not only is he talking about how you want to sit, he's saying, do you know, there are some people who get invited for good things and they don't even come. That they're offered for free and they come out of the goodness of somebody's heart and God is good to them and they don't even care enough to come. And he's talking about them. You see, Jesus had come, right? And he had offered salvation freely. And he's healing. And he has good things. And he's got all these words to share with them. And guess what? They don't want. They don't want them. They don't want to be at his feast. They don't want to hear his words. They don't want to come to his table. And he is drawing it down. Just like Peter did on the day of Pentecost. He's telling them about uh, David. And he's talking about Abraham. And he finally gets down. He said, do you know what? Your fathers, you know, like, like Stephen even preached, you people crucified the Messiah, you know? So what's happening here? Jesus has started out casual and now he's getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And now he's right in their face and he's going to extremely humble these people with what he says. Jesus said they all with one consent made excuse. The first said, I bought a piece of ground. I must need to go see it. Please let me be excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. So I can prove them. Let me be excused. Another said, I married a wife, therefore I can't come. So the servant came and he showed the Lord these things. The master of the house being angry said to the servant, go out into the streets, to the lanes and the seas and bring them the poor, the maimed, the halt, the blind. And the Lord said, it is lest it is done as thou hast commanded. Yet there is still room. And then Jesus takes it and takes and he sends him out again. Do you guys remember this? And he uses a word you might miss if you're reading the King James he said, we've, we've, we've invited everybody to come and we got a lot of bad characters in here, but there's still room. Jesus said, go out into the highways and hedges and compel. Everybody say compel. Okay, you might miss it. You might not understand it. He's saying, I would like you to force people to come. 
I would like you to restrain them and drag them in this house. They don't have sense enough to know. Drag them in here. He's giving an example of us. Here we are hard-hearted, ungodly people. And what does God do? What did God do to you and me, Steve? But he, did He drag us into His house? Absolutely. Is there something wrong? Oh, we want, people ought to just, you know, it ought to just be okay. No. God loves us enough that even when we don't want to come, and we don't want to come to the feast, like the song says. What does that song say, right? Else we, Lord, we would still refuse to eat and, and we would perish in our sins. And Jesus saying, people are going to be drug in <laughs> that aren't even trying to come in. And people are going to come that have nothing to give. And He's showing them that all He had done for them to prepare the feast for them and still they would not come. And He says this, If any man come to Me, he must hate his... And he doesn't hate his father and his mother and his wife and his children and his brother and sisters and yea, his own life. He can't be my disciple. Whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sits not down and counts the cost? He talks about war. He talks about building. He talks about these things. He's saying in our life, when we need to do what we, what, when we do what we need to do, and we know it's important, like when our, if our country has to go to war, North Korea, do you think that all the bookkeepers are going to sit down and see if we can afford to fight? Or are we going to fight if they start launching nuclear weapons? What are we going to do? We're going to go to war. Why? We understand the cost of not defending ourselves, right? We understand the cost of not doing... We, if we don't stop those ICBMs, we're all going to die. And so we don't get out our checkbooks and balance it and see if we got the money to do it or not. We do it. And he's saying you need to understand the kingdom of God is like this. You don't calculate that it's, if it's okay or not for you to serve God. You don't calculate if you can bear the cost of following Jesus Christ. You cannot bear it. Everything we give, we give wholeheartedly, unreserving to God, holding nothing back, asking nothing from Him. And follow Him. And if we don't follow Him that way, and we do it just as a way to add benefit to our lives, we are like those who come to the feast, who invite people to the feast, only because they can do something for us. Folks, we have nothing to offer God. God has everything to offer us. We need to do the same. We need to find those that have nothing to offer us, and offer them what we have. What does that thing say that you read yesterday, honey? In a store? You remember it? You, you mentioned it to me. It said those who have too much should get a bigger table and not build higher fences. Something like that, right? I remember when we adopted our son, I remember somebody saying to us, didn't you have enough? And it never even occurred to me that we were getting something more. We did though. I said, the deal was, is we had more than we need. But He doesn't. Jesus is leading the people in Luke 14 to this kind of Christianity. James 4, God gives more grace. Everybody say, God gives more grace. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. 
Purify your heart, you double-minded. Be afflicted, mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. Is that how we're living? Are we living a self-humbling life with our brothers and sisters in Christ? With our brothers and sisters in our home? Do we fear the Lord? Are we honoring Him in the way that we treat our husbands, the way that we treat our wives, the way that we treat the leaders of our church? Or are we proud and we don't like we don't like it to be told what to do and we're obstinate? I can tell you right now, if my kids say they didn't want to come to church, I'm dragging them to church. Oh, we should give them a choice. My kids don't have a choice. On Sunday, we come to the house of the Lord. That's what we do. We're Christian people. That's what we do. You might go, well, that's not fair. Well, yeah, life isn't all about fair. Sometimes we just got to drag them in. Sometimes your leaders might have to drag you in. But we humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God and He will exalt us. Let us pray. Lord, I pray that I have not gotten in the way so much that they cannot hear Your voice today. And I hear the sternness of Your rebuke against us in our pride. And Lord, I pray that we would humble ourselves. That it would not be needful for You to humble us. Lord, we have been a proud people. And when You have spoken to us again and again, we have not liked it. And Lord, I pray that we would long to hear Your voice and to love You, Lord, and to love those who have You have given in our lives to speak truth to us. And instead of despising them, we would fear You. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said... Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you. And it's a pleasure to serve you.